excellent book. There's been months now that we've been looking at examples of Old Testament saints. When I got to this chapter, I really slowed down. We've been looking at so much about Christ and all that He is to us. And I wanted to slow down and, and say, okay, how does this work out in our lives when we have faith? And we looked at all these different ones and how their faith was exhibited. We saw that there was a variety in how it was shown. It all, all is the same faith, but they had different situations. Like on Noah had the, the threat of the flood and was told to make an ark, and his faith was exhibited by taking heed to what God had said and the warning that God had given him. And other ones were called to do things like Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt or Abraham to go to a land that he did not know. There, there was all kinds of different things that they, they had and that we learned from their examples. Today we come to the conclusion of this chapter, a conclusion that is a bridge into the last part of the book, chapters 12 and 13, where it gives us a, this gives us a challenge as those who believe in Christ to learn from the example of these Old Testament models, and then the, an exhortation comes to us of living in Christ and with Christ according to those examples, you might say, living faithfully now that we have such greater privileges in the New Testament, that now that Christ has been revealed. So we're going to be getting right into that today as we look at this. Now, in my reading, I do want to uh, read the entire chapter to you because, uh, it, you know, it talks about, it's kind of drawing it all together. So we'll go back to verse 1 and have it begin our reading there. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in, a land, in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. And when she was past, she, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. Do you remember what that's talking about when it says God's not ashamed? God, if all God gave to Abraham and all those people that lived at that time, his sons and whatnot, was just like wandering around in the land, and even if it was just the land of Palestine, if he had given them that at that time, he would have been ashamed to be called their God because this is the inheritance that God has for the people that he blesses for all eternity? Is that it? You see, God was showing, he shows by their, their lives, like, they were looking for something that was far beyond that. They were looking for the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, the eternal city that, that God has promised to his people. Okay, moving on, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward." By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured his seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the the enemy, the, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. 
And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Thanks be to God for His holy word. How glad we are that He has revealed these things to us to strengthen us in our walk with Him. What a, what a fine list of examples we have here. I hope it encourages you to, to make yourself more familiar with the, the Old Testament and the, to, to read God's Word. That's how He speaks to us today. You're not hearing from Him if you're not reading His Word and, and meditating on it. Now, when you look at these people, you're quite mistaken if you look at this list and it discourages you. you say, oh, no, I could never, be, could never be like all of these people. It is not the point, the whole point here. This is by faith about every single one of them. The whole point is not that these were mighty people. The point is that they trusted God who is mighty. The reason faith is so powerful is not because of the individual's faith per se, but because faith lays hold of God in weakness and God is powerful and mighty toward us. He enables us to do things that we could not do in our own strength. That's the whole point of this chapter. And I hope none of you have missed that. I hope you don't look at that and say, oh, those people are way out there. They don't have anything to do with me. No, these extreme, they are extraordinary examples are given to you to help you in your daily walk. You are called to trust the same one that they trusted in. And your faith will have the same effect. It will enable you to do what God has called you to do. We talked about that. God hasn't called us necessarily to go in and deliver a nation out of bondage from slavery. But what has He called you to do? Wherever you are in your life, you say, oh, this is too hard. It's too hard. I'm going through all this. Oh, it's too hard. No, God enables you to endure. Like He enables them to endure. He enables you to do things that are way beyond your ability, like He enabled them to do. So He can do this. He is the one that we trust in. We're told here in this, these concluding uh, verses, the 39 and 40, we're told that they obtained a good testimony by faith. It is faith that brought their lives together. Verse 39 says that that is what they all did. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, not one of them obtained a good testimony in some other way. The things that they did and the things that they endured they did and endured by trusting in the living God. And there are times in our lives when we do feel overwhelmed like they did. And we need to get down on our knees and we need to cry out to our God and we need to see His enabling grace. And we may have to cry out for a long time, but He will act in our behalf. What does it mean to have a good testimony. Well, look back in our reading that we just did. The same terminology is used to describe Enoch. It says that before he was taken up to heaven, remember he was the one that went up to heaven and he didn't die? And it says before he was taken up to heaven that he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
What does that mean? People who knew Enoch knew that he trusted God. He had a testimony of trusting in God, of walking with God. He was a man that everyone said, that guy knows God. He's with God. Before he was transported. Now, after he was transported, then they would say, the reason he was transported is because he walked with God. But they already knew before that, that he had this testimony. It says before he was transported, that he uh, walked, walked with God, that he pleased God. Everyone could see that. That was his testimony. So having a good testimony means that your life shows that you have a good and right relationship with the true and living God. Your testimony as a Christian is that you have been saved from your sin. That's what you say as a Christian. That's what you profess. You are now forgiven and restored in Christ. So do you have a testimony of someone that's restored? Or do you have someone that's still alienated from God? You are now walking with Him, living in communion with Him. Is that what people see? You are living by His grace. Is that what is going on, even more importantly? If you trust in Him, there are two reasons that your life shows it. First, if you trust in Him, you live as if you trust in Him, because you do. You will, for example, listen to His counsel and follow it. Like Noah, if he warns you that a great flood is coming and that you need to build an ark to save you and your family, then you'll go and do it. You don't look at his word and say, eh, I don't know about that. That shows that you're not trusting in God. You don't, not, don't, don't believe what he says. Like Abraham, if he calls you to leave your homeland and go to a place that you don't know, and he's going to give you a land sometime way off in the future after you're dead, he says, I want you to come and do this. I'm going to bring blessing to you, Abraham. Say, a blessing wandering around in a land and not having any possession when I had a, a wonderful uh, life with a great, great provision and riches and everything and when I was in my old city with my people. Why, why would I do that? Because he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He said, if God says he's going to bless me, I, I'm in his hands. I'll wander around for the rest of my life if that's what he calls me to do because he will still bless me. He believed God would raise up his son if he offered him up. That was Abraham. Like Moses, you'll believe that it's better to be afflicted with uh, the people of God in the wilderness rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin in a palace in Egypt with all the privileges of, of being uh, of, among royalty. You know, no matter how ill-treated you are with those people in the wilderness and how disrespected they are compared to how respected you would have been if you'd remained in the palace in Egypt. Moses said, this is the better way. He lived like someone who believed what God said. So that comes down to our life, doesn't it? Somebody's tempting you to, uh, or you're tempted to, to smoke weed or to get drunk or something like that. Well, what do you believe? Do you believe what God says? Be filled with the Spirit, don't be drunk with wine? Or do you believe what the world is telling you? You walk with God. You have a testimony. What is your testimony? Do you believe what God says or do you believe something else? That's, that's the kind of issue that we, we have every day. So this is, this is the thing. You listen to God's counsel and you follow it. And the question is, how can you do otherwise? If you trust in him, if you if someone trusts in riches, 
then you know that, don't you? They have a testimony of that. They talk about it. They live that way. Maybe they pour out their lives all the time and their work trying to get ahead, trying to get ahead. Maybe they're very competitive and they trample over other people. Maybe they think it's better to work in coordination with other people. They can do all kinds of different styles. But you see, man, that person is driven to be rich. That's their testimony. So if you have a testimony that the Lord is your Lord and your God, you'll have a testimony of that. That's what it's talking about. Testimony by faith. Okay, that's the first way. If you trust in Him, you live as if you trust in Him. The second way that you trust in God, it, it, it gives you a good testimony, is this. It's very special. When you trust in God, He actually acts in response to that trust. So that your life is strengthened and you're able to do things that you would not be capable of doing otherwise. Someone that trusts in riches they don't get that same kind of effect. They may get some effect. You know, they get, they get a bunch of money and they can buy things and they can kind of show off and that kind of thing. It kind of gives them a... But, but you actually get invigorated and transformed because you're trusting in the Lord who is able to work in you and to actually make changes in your life. So, he, first of all, He saves you when you come to Him. He pardons you of all of your sin you could in no way ever provide an atonement to take away your sin like He did. You come to Him and you say, Lord, I am ruined by sin. I am alienated from You because of my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sins through the provision that You have made in the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in that. And what does He do? He forgives you. And you say, Lord, I've got a stubborn heart and I have a hard time following You. And you trust in Him and you cry out to Him. What does He do? He gives you a new heart. He takes away the hard, stony heart. And He gives you a heart of flesh that responds to Him. So, in other words, God will transform your life when you trust in Him. And that transformation will be obvious because other people will see, wow, something is going on with that person. And some people will see it and say, like the Egyptians did when Moses started doing some of the signs, this is the finger of God. <laughs> you know, wow. I, I've known uh, some of you that came to faith when you were maybe you know, 20, 23, whatever, you know, some, somewhere in there. And you know, your parents were sort of like, oh, I don't know about this. And then later they say, this, this is real. I, I, I see this, there's something real here. You have a testimony that you know God. You're reconciled to the living God. Okay, so that's what it says that all of these, all these people that we read about, they had a testimony that they pleased God. These Old Testament worthies stood out. Their examples are mentioned because they stood out among their peers. In many cases, as we've seen, they were called to do extraordinary things that they could not do like delivering a whole nation from slavery in the mo from the most powerful nation in the world, a, a huge nation, to go, go and deliver them out of that nation. You know, okay, how am I going to do that? Right? God said He would do it. They did it by faith. They had a clear testimony that they were in a right relationship with God. When Moses came, they knew that he was with God. Like I mentioned before, they said, this is the finger of God. We saw that others of them were called and enabled to endure extremely difficult things. Like we looked at last week 
when we looked at the, um, what happened in the history between the Old and New Testament with the Maccabean, in the Maccabean period and how that they were tortured, as it said, and would not accept deliverance when they were, they were severely tortured and they would not yield. How did they do that? How did they endure that torture? It's because God enabled them to do so. You don't have the grace to endure torture like that right now because you're not being tortured. But if the day comes that God calls you to endure something like that, you'll have the grace that you need in that day. You may not feel like you do at first, but God will bring you that grace if you belong to Him. He will, he will work in you. Still others are on the list, even though they spoil their testimony in certain ways by disobedience and by periods of unbelief and struggle. And God chastened them. And their testimony is of that God was with them because He dealt with them and chastened them and restored them. Which is really a beautiful thing. You remember Jacob? We looked at Jacob that way and contrasted him with Joseph. Joseph was faithful all the way from his childhood. It's hard to find. Some people try to find stuff with Joseph, but I don't really find much that he would. And it's possible for someone to actually trust God and by His grace to walk with Him their whole life. But Jacob, on the other hand, he was always taking matters into his own hands again and again and again. And we see how God kept chastening him. He kept bringing hard things over and over and over again. And eventually, at the end of his life, Jacob was totally trusting God. It shows him at the end of his life. And you say, wow, you know, he had a testimony that God was with him. You look at someone like Samson. You know, the man's with a prostitute. And he, and he, and he, he tells about his strength to her and all this kind of stuff because he wants to be with her and everything. And then he ends up having his eyes poked out, having his strength taken away, ending up in prison, like in, in being made sport of in the, by the Philistines. But then, again, at the end of his life, he says, Lord, give me the strength that, that I can bring vengeance on these Philistines. This is what God had called him to do. And God gave him that strength by faith. He was able to bring down that whole uh, temple that they were in to bring a great deliverance to his people. These words stood out not only among their peers, I'm saying they're given as examples because they stood out so strongly, but they stand out also from us, which is brought out in the text. It's interesting. We're going to see why it's brought out. Our text tells us how how they stand out from us because they did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us. So these guys serve God even though they did not receive this thing that's called the promise that we have now received. What is this promise? Some people think it says that all these had good testimony by faith that it is not talking, all these is just talking about the people in verses 35b to 38 that we looked at last week. The ones that were not delivered from sufferings. The ones that were given strength to endure sufferings but were not delivered from them. So they didn't receive the promise. They weren't delivered, you know. They weren't like Daniel that went in the lion's den and then God delivered him, shut the mouths of the lions. They're like the ones that got eaten by the lions. And so they say, okay, it's talking about those. You know, the ones that were tortured and that were not delivered. 
the ones that were slain with the sword. They died. It wasn't like where they were on the side where the walls of Jericho fall down and they trampled over their enemies. It was where their enemies trampled over them. But that's not correct. This is, it is a promise that none of the saints of Old Testament received. None of them received it. Because it says we received it. And they didn't. This thing called the promise. It's not just any promise, but it is the promise that all of them were looking for. And that was God's promise of what? Of redemption by His Son, Jesus Christ, and by a son that would be born of the woman that God promised way back right after the fall. He would, die, he, he would come to save His people from their sins and that they would trust in Him to do so. But He did not do that. God did not send that promise. He did not fulfill that promise all the way from the fall of man until the time when Jesus Christ came to the world 2,000 years ago. All of those people that faithfully served God had not received the promise that the Hebrews are written to here and all of us who live in this time have received. They died still trusting that God would bring about that promise, would fulfill that promise. They all died in faith, believing this particular promise. They believed that they were numbered with His people, the people that would be redeemed because they were among those who trusted in God to save them. For them, Jesus was always the coming one. Always the promised one. They only had shadows of how He would save them. The sacrifices that were appointed in, in different ways. More elaborately later on when Moses came than it was in the earlier days. But uh, sacrifices and such things, you know, burning of incense, all kinds of things like that. They had faith in what God had promised that He would do. We, on the other hand, have faith in what God has done. We look back and rest on Christ's finished work. They look forward to the shadows they had, to the Son that would come and redeem them. This makes the Old Testament believers' faith stand out from our faith as more remarkable in that way, okay? Because they obtained a good testimony by faith with only a little bit of light. And have the privileges you have. And they still trusted God all the way through all of those times. They did not know just how God would redeem His people, of which they were a part, but they lived their whole life in faith that He would. And so they, they are quite wonderful examples for us. Okay? The, the theme of the whole book of Hebrews is that God has provided, as it says here in these verses, something better for us. We have it better than they had it. Remember the issue uh, Hebrews was written to address. These were Jewish or Hebrew believers, ones that had received Christ when He came to the world as Messiah 
and we're gathered together in their little small assemblies, meeting in this house and that house over there and that little corner over there. They were the ones, and they were persecuted and rejected by the other Jews. And some of them were getting weary in that. And they were kind of thinking about, you know, we could kind of go back and do some of the, our old Jewish traditions and things. Maybe we understand the meaning of them is now fulfilled in Christ. And they, they were thinking about compromising, going back. Some of them maybe even saying, I don't even want to do this. It seems like things aren't working out very well with this, the way things are going for us. These things are written in Hebrews to address them and to show them that they have God has provided something better for you. That's, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Hebrews is written to show them that in Christ we have what is better. And of course, in showing these original recipients that, shows us the excellence of Christ and how He's better. We who live today, Christ is better. And we say, of course, He's better than those Old Testament things. But he's better than all the things that tempt you, all the things that entice you. He's better when you, when you are struggling to endure in your walk with God. Let's then cheer and refresh ourselves of the better thing that God has provided for us. The book of Hebrews opens by telling us of the excellent revelation we have from God now that Christ has come. What does it say? Very first words. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The angels were involved in revealing things to God's people in the Old Testament through the prophets and various things. And now Christ has come and he is superior to all of that. Such fuller revelation we have of God's glory and God's salvation in Jesus Christ than ever before. We see the dominion that we were given at creation restored when Christ came. Not before He came, but after He came. Hebrews 2, 6-9. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. That was original at creation. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. It didn't stay that way by the fall, did it? Now the ground swallows us up. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus is now exalted over all things. He is head and has dominion over all of creation. And we don't see creation yet brought into subjection to us, but it is to Him. Christ, number third, Christ is better than Moses, the, the premier prophet of the Old Testament. Hebrews 3, 3-6. through six. 
For this one, Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, that was a lot to say to a Hebrew, wasn't it? Who didn't, know, who didn't believe in Christ. Now, of course, these ones did. But he's counted more of worth, worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house, Christ, has more honor than the house. Moses was just part of the house. For every house is built by someone, and he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, did everything God told him to do, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. So Christ builds the house. Moses was part of the house. Moses was perfectly faithful in what God called him to do. Christ was faithful in what God gave him to do. Christ gives us a better rest than Joshua did when he brought the people into the land, what we read about earlier. Hebrews 4, 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, the final rest that God had appointed, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day, like he did over in uh, Psalm 95. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We saw that, that his rest was talking about Christ. Okay? Christ has entered into his rest because he finished the work of redemption. God rested after he finished the work of creation. God the Son rested after he finished the work of redemption. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, bringing salvation to his people. Fifth, Christ is a superior priest who by his vehement prayers and suffering is the author of eternal salvation. That is, he saves us forever. Look at Hebrews 5, 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he, was, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Much is made of his superior priesthood in this point from Hebrews onward. Okay, he has a superior priesthood because it never ends. Hebrews 7, 15 to 17. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We have a priest that will never lose his ability to do his priestly work for us. He has done it once and for all, and he applies it now, interceding for us. So he has a, a superior calling, not by inheritance, but by oath from God. Hebrews 7, 20 to 22. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. His salvation is eternal because he lives forever. Hebrews 7, 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. So when you struggle about whether God would forgive you, whether you are forgiven, whether you can walk with God anymore, maybe you've done too much sin, you've been too hard, come to Christ. He ever lives to make intercession. His priesthood does not fail. He has a superior position at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Hebrews 8.1 Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. The, the other priests in the Old Testament, they just offered sacrifices on earth that were just shadows. He's gone right up to the right hand of God and there he reigns. He is mediator of a better covenant with better promises. Hebrews 8.6 But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The better promises are for the forgiveness of sins and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit given to us in a greater fullness. Okay, they had those things, but we have them in a greater fullness and in a, greater, in a, in a, in a way that is superior. The Old Testament believers, you see, had forgiveness based on what Jesus would do. In other words, the debt had not been paid. All the time that they lived, the debt had not been paid, and they didn't know just how it would be paid. They knew that God would pay it somehow, but they, they had their sacrifices, but they didn't pay the debt, and they knew that. And we have it very different because our forgiveness, we know now what it's based upon. We look back and see the finished work of Christ. The penalty has been paid. It gives us a greater assurance and security. Likewise, the Spirit did work in the Old Testament believer that they might repent, that they might come to God, that they might serve God, and the prophets uh, might prophesy. But Christ is the anointed one who received the Spirit with fullness. He's the anointed one. It means He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And He then gives us the Spirit forever. He has... He's, he's the one who is entitled to give us the Spirit. None of us could have the Spirit apart from Christ. None of the Old Testament people could. But we see now the foundation of it for our greater faith and assurance and confidence. We have essentially the same salvation that they had. But we have it, you see, in a greater assurance because of Christ being now revealed. So he's a mediator of a better covenant with better promises. And next, Christ alone has the sacrifice as our priest that actually takes away our sin. The Old Testament ones were only shadows of His. Hebrews 9.11 But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, so He's in a better place, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And therefore, the last thing of His priesthood, we're perfected forever by His offering. Hebrews 10.10 we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. 
And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I tell you, brothers and sisters, truly, we have something that is far better than the saints of the Old Testament. God's salvation has been openly revealed. We sang about that earlier, didn't we? Psalm 98. Christ has come and He has accomplished the glorious work of redemption. We look back at a complete and finished work that Christ did. But make no mistake, even though the Old Testament believers did not have this better thing throughout their whole life, okay, this finished work of redemption when they lived here on earth, they have it now. All of them have it now. Our text shows that the Old Testament believers were saved just as New Testament believers are by the work of, that Jesus did 2,000 years before us now. Look at the whole passage again. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise and never received it? No, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They are made perfect just as we are, in the same way that we are. People often ask, how are the Old Testament people saved? Ever wondered that? Maybe you aren't sure about that. Well, here you have it. They were not saved apart from us. What does this mean? The promise of redemption by Christ was the promise that they waited for, and it is the glorious work that we rely upon and rest in. Okay, that's what we saw the contrast. They were looking for what was promised. We look back on what was done. So we've got a different perspective. But it is the same work for them as it is for us. The difference is that we live in the times when we have the benefit and the privilege of seeing God's salvation and what He did, seeing what He did to secure our pardon, which gives us greater assurance and everything. They see it from their place now, which is with Christ in glory. But we get to, we got, we get to see it while we're still in our pilgrimage. They didn't get that privilege. They're fine now, <laughs> but uh, they had to wait. It's helpful to recognize that Christ only has one body and one church. Sometimes we lose sight of that. And sadly, there's, a, there's theology out there today that really truncates that, that. That says, you know, oh, they were saved this way, we're saved that way. No, 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 no. There's one church, there's one body all the way through. God has one elect people. He doesn't have multiple churches out there. His church was not redeemed, though, until Jesus came. It was an unredeemed church until Jesus came. It had the promise of redemption, but there was no atonement for sin until Christ made an atonement. There was no priest that could secure eternal salvation or the Holy Spirit. There was no foundation for that. There were promises of these things given in shadows. There were re real experiences of forgiveness and of the Holy Spirit. The ceremonies, though, that they 
where they, where they repeated their sacrifices with men dressed up as God appointed in their priestly garments, you know, representing things that were going to be done uh, in altars that were made with human hands, offering up incense to God, representing prayers that needed to be made that couldn't be made by them. Okay, there, there was no sacrifice to actually take away sins, just blood of bulls and goats. That was what they had. The church was a church then waiting for redemption, waiting to be made perfect by what God was going to provide. They could not be made perfect without us until our times, our day, because there was no sacrifice to take away their sins until Jesus came. The church was waiting for redemption. Now that He has come and has done His work, we have the sacrifice that brings perfection, complete forgiveness, and eternal life. How should we then live? We should live with extreme gratitude for what Christ has done. We should look upon Him, our glorious Savior, as He is revealed, and His saving work as it is revealed. We should see His marvelous kindness that He should come here to bear our sins who are unworthy to have anyone do any such thing. We could have not even never thought that the Most High God would do such a thing. It was hard for the people to believe that He even did do such a thing. The disciples, it was, it was just unfathomable to them that you, the Messiah, are going to go and die on the cross? No, you can't do that. And Jesus told, he rebuked Peter for rebuking him about it. And they just couldn't, ah, he would tell them they just, they didn't get it until he did it. Such love, such grace, such mercy for sinners. Who would think that he would do such a thing as this? Such tender compassion. We should look upon this work to understand the depths of it. We should, we should meditate on what Christ is. We should meditate on these things in Hebrews that I've set out to you very quickly today. You know, to understand the depths of what He has done and give thanks to God. We should offer to Him the sacrifice of praise each day for this. Do you thank God for your salvation every day? Do you eagerly gather with His people and come to worship? Not just to hear a sermon. Yeah, you come to hear a sermon to hear it declared, the gospel declared, and to learn and all those things. You come here to praise God for what He has done, to give thanks, like we sang today, for the wonderful works that He has done. We should be eager each week to gather with the saints. We should prepare ourselves and look forward to that. We should be happy to have a snow day where we have to stay at home or a sick day where we're sitting at home and just kind of watching on the live. We want to come here and participate. We want to be lifting up, the, exalting our Savior because of what He's done. We want to do that every day and to gather our families together, not just to teach and learn, but to give praise to our God. Like the saints of old that we've read about, we should trust also in the One who has proven Himself to be so trustworthy. Wow, they thought he was trustworthy. They saw his hand delivering them, bringing them into the land, doing different things. How much more did we think, should we think that he's trustworthy now that he's come and done what Jesus did? He sent his son to do this work. We should not doubt his goodness ever or his care for us, no matter what we may be called to endure in this world. 
We do sometimes in our weakness, and that's when we cry out to Him for grace and strength and look into faith. But we know it's not right to think that way. We, we should be ready to forsake all for His sake, to endure all things for His glory. You say, well, I don't feel very ready. No, it's a weakness. We again cry out to God. We need to see these things, to obey Him, to look to Him for deliverance. His blessing and not the world's. Do you live for God's blessing like Moses did? Or do you live for Egypt's blessing like Moses didn't do? Would you rather have a palace in Egypt or would you rather have affliction and a bad reputation with the people of God? We should lay down our lives for him and eagerly obey him. For we have seen his great love and mercy in Christ. It has been revealed to us, brothers and sisters. We have such a privilege, so much more. If the mere shadows of his work had such an effect on the saints of old, how much more should it affect you? You who have seen his glory in Christ, God's glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ and his saving work accomplished. Let his sweet work draw you in. Let it deepen your sense of sin that such measures had to be taken. Let it give you a greater assurance and confidence of his future promises, his promises that are yet future to you. Let it cheer you and fill you with joy and hope. Let it make you entirely devoted to him. Let the example of the Old Testament saints looking to future things stimulate you and inspire you to trust God for the future that is yet to us. Because you see, we also live in a time when we're waiting for things, aren't we? We don't have all that God has promised fulfilled. We have the great thing that He promised, Christ coming. That's the central core thing. But there's a lot of things that we're still waiting for. There is a work future to us that the Old Testament saints already have ahead of us. And that is the perfecting of our spirits. Our complete freedom from sin. What a wonderful, marvelous, only thing that only God could do. To completely deliver us from all, every shadow of sin in us. There, with him there, spirits of just men made perfect, which we're going to see later on. That's, that's something that they have. Let us go on, though, with faith. Trusting God day by day to sanctify us, make us more and more holy, knowing that he will complete that work fully when we depart to be with Christ, which is far better, as the apostle said. There is also a promised work that is future to both us and the saints of of old. They're they're up there waiting for something that we also are waiting for. They have something we don't have, perfection of their spirit. They have something else that they're waiting for that we also are waiting for. And what is that? The resurrection of our bodies that is promised to us. And with that, the renewal of the whole world to be restored and and brought to us again. We're waiting for that to be fulfilled. Christ is head over all things, but we don't experience that just yet. We still have the curse in the world and the difficult things that go on with uh, the creation itself. We will be delivered. What really it all boils down to that we're waiting for is the complete deliverance from all of our enemies. From death, from Satan, from the world that opposes Christ, from our own flesh. You know, all of these things. Now, the the deliverance from the flesh comes uh, if we die before the last day, but these other things come 
at the last day. Do not grow weary because he who is coming will come and will not delay. He's waiting until all of his people are gathered in and then he will come. Yes, follow the saints of the Old Testament who trusted in him with only shadows. You have the revelation of Christ and his saving work. Sometimes people so ignorantly will say, if I live back in the Old Testament time, when God did all these miracles and you know, opened up the ground or opened the Red Sea for them to go across, I, I would have no problem believing then. Yes, you would. They had a hard time believing. They saw all that stuff. Are you different than them? I think in some ways they show themselves superior to us a lot of times. You would still have a hard time because you have something that is better. You have revealed to you that God Almighty sent His Son and that He suffered and died on the cross to atone for your sin. This is such a marvelous thing that it should captivate our minds and our hearts forever and ever. And because it doesn't the way it should, we need to cry out to God that He would enable us to do what we cannot do. We look to Him even for faith in that. Now we'll be looking at the encouragement that we have in God's Word in Hebrews to press on with Christ, with the privileges that we have, to press on in light of those privileges. We'll be looking at that in chapter 12 and 13, the rest of the book of Hebrews. Um, it addresses to us, it addresses us as those who have better things of Christ in His saving work accomplished and revealed to us. So that's what we'll be doing in the weeks to come. But praise God that we have the better thing. We can have a testimony that we trust in God. Please stand and let's give thanks to Him. Oh Lord, how we thank You for what You've done. How we thank You for Your mercies that have been shown to us so richly and so fully. We thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that He is a priest with no one that even comes close to comparison. He is the Son of God. He is the one who is made priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the one who lives forever to make intercession for us. He is the one who offered a sacrifice that no one else could offer. Himself, the righteous, holy Son of God, offering Himself to bear our sins. We praise You that by His work that we are set free and that we have the blessings of the new covenant that gives us a greater assurance and ground for all of our hopes in what He has done. We praise You, O Lord, and we, pray, we praise You that we have a king now in that new covenant that will not be like the kings under the old covenant that, that fell away from You, and all the people would fall under Your judgment because their head had gone astray. But now we cannot depart from You because our rest is in our Savior. And we praise you that the whole church is firmly established forever and ever in Him. He is our head and He will never betray you. He will never compromise. He will never go astray. Oh, Father, they never knew what their king would do. But we have a king that we know will be faithful forever and ever. And He has done your work as a priest forever and ever. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have and the assurance of it. Please ground us confidently in our Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. We pray in his name. Amen.
Let's sing a song of supplication. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people according to all that He has promised. There has not failed one word of all His good promise which He promised. May the Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us nor forsake us that He may incline our hearts to Himself to walk in His ways, in all His ways, and to keep His commandments in His statutes and His judgments which He has commanded our fathers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.